What's driving the surge in shark attacks at New York beaches? How to stay safe in the water this summer and watch as researchers catch and track these ocean predators to better understand them. Metrofocus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gansconi Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, the Ambrose Monell Foundation. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jack Ford. So, Shark Week has turned into Shark Summer. After at least six people suffered apparent bites off Long Island, leaving many tri-state beachgoers fearful of the water. A small dead great white shark also recently washed up on shore, fueling anxiety about just exactly what's lurking off the coast. In response, Governor Hochul has directed state agencies to increase patrols, drone surveillance, and lifeguard staffing. Researchers say this shark activity could be our new normal, but they also say that's not necessarily a bad thing. More sharks indicate a healthier ocean, and there's groundbreaking research underway in our area to catch and track these often misunderstood predators. For the latest on these efforts now and the recent encounters and how to stay safe this summer, we are joined by our guests. First, we have Frank Quivetto, who is the executive director of South Fork Natural History Museum, or SOFO, which oversees a shark research and education program. In addition, we have Greg Metzger with us on his boat, just off of the water, the field coordinator for SOFO's shark research program, who's caught and tagged hundreds of sharks as part of this research. We're also joined by Lieutenant Brian Mateo of the New York State Park Police, who is part of the Marine Patrol unit tasked with looking out for these predators. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So there's a lot I want to talk about here. And and um, great. Uh, Frank, let me start with you, if I can. All right. And this goes back to what I said in the introduction. Um, and that is that it might sound unusual for people to hear that this increased shark activity could signal a good thing. What do we mean by that? Well, you know, for many years, you know, the conservation efforts over the last decade or two has been to protect ocean animals like sharks and striped bass. And most importantly, the food source for a lot of marine animals, the Atlantic Menhaden. And in 2019, Governor Cuomo signed a bill to protect the Atlantic Menhaden from persane fishing techniques. And what that has done is we're seeing a resurgence uh, you know, the Atlantic Menhaden has been referred to as the most important fish in the ocean. And why, when, why, why is that? Explain that to us. Frank. Yeah. So so Atlantic Menhaden feeds all marine life that inhabits the Atlantic Ocean from eagles and ospreys to whales, dolphins, seals and sharks. So when you have a conservation effort to protect a food source that is so vital, important to the marine ecosystem, you see a resurgence and a population increase in a lot of marine life. And that's what we're seeing now. You know, we're seeing populations of sharks increasing because they're taking advantage 
of the food source, the Atlantic Menhaden. When people go to the beach on a normal instance now, they are constantly seeing whales and dolphins pretty close to shore that are also taking advantage of that food source. So this is you know, a benefit of all the efforts in the past few years uh, to protect and you know, to, to make that ocean very healthy. And that's what we're seeing now. Let me ask you another question to, to set the stage for all of this conversation. I don't, I'm going to bring Greg and Brian into it. But uh, again, I, I indicated in the introduction that, that there are misperceptions out there about sharks and what we think about them here. Give me a sense, and you, you've spent so much of your time doing this research and trying to educate people. So get, yeah. give us a sense of some of the more significant misperceptions and what yep. the truths are. Yeah, so, you know, sharks are, are one of the top ocean predators in the marine environment. And sharks play an important role in the food web. And they what really is important is they help ensure the balance of the ecosystem, of the ocean's ecosystem. So without sharks, without top predators on the planet, we see a crash in that particular ecosystem that they control. They're balance keepers of the environment. So I think the misperception here is that predators are are not wanted because they're dangerous to people, uh, dangerous to pets. If, you know, bears and mountain lions or bobcats are in the area, these predators play a role in balancing the ecosystem, keeping it healthy. They control sick and diseased animals that they eat. You know, without these predators, we see an ecological crash in the environment. So we need apex predators on the planet. And then last question to you, Frank, then I want to come to Greg. And and that is this this tagging system, this ability to try and establish a foundation for research. Explain to us how that works and what you hope to glean from that information. Yeah, so the the South Fork Natural History Museum Shark Research and Education Program, the mission here is um, to educate people to enhance stewardship of Long Island shark community through scientific research, data sharing, and marine resource managers and educating the public about their the sharks important ecological roles. So our job as the SOFO shark research program is to sustain these shark species to learn more about them. And the only way we can do that is having Greg and the crew out in the field as scientists, collecting as much data as 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 we can, because with this data, it tells the story. It gives us information about the life cycle of the animal. It, you, it tells us how the animals utilize the habitat together. And most importantly, this information is, is given to the scientific community and marine resource managers so that they can make the decisions and the guidelines and the restrictions to help sustain these animals. So it's, that's, that's our job. That's our role with the shark research and education program. So Greg, let's bring you now into the conversation because you're the guy who's out on the water a couple of days a week, uh, tagging these sharks. Most days a week. Most days a week. All right. Yeah, now, we're on I, almost a, a two-week straight run here. The weather's been right. good to us. So I, I want you to tell us about this. Now, this is coming from an old lifeguard. I'm an old okay. Atlantic Ocean Beach lifeguard. A long, long time ago, you know, having seen some things out in the water, you know, with your binoculars when somebody brings it to your attention. So the notion of finding and tagging sharks to me is fascinating. How do you find them and how do you tag them? Yeah, so uh, basically we're targeting two things, water temperature and the bunker schools. Uh, as Frank had pointed out, it's really the resurgence in the, in the 
prey items, the, primarily the uh, Atlantic menhaden, that are bringing the sharks to our waters. So we always have sharks in our waters throughout the year, but that the type of shark, the species of shark changes with the water temperature. And so uh, primarily the species that we're interested in for all of the different collaborators that we work with uh, are the sharks that are found uh, in our waters during the summertime. Um, so that, you know, that that's what we target is water temperature and food sources. And, and which are those sharks? I know there are different types of sharks, but which are the sharks that you're seeing in our water during the summertime? Yeah. So uh, typically, consistently, year after year, we see uh, in the early when the water's a little cooler, it would be blue sharks. Uh, and then as the water starts to warm up, we'll see uh, sandbar sharks, dusky sharks, thresher sharks. Um, we have uh, brought uh, on a, a recent collaborator with uh, Stony Brook University. And so they've, they've added sand tiger sharks to, to the list. Um, so those are the primary shark species. Uh, we're, we're, our work started trying to... Uh, catch and tag young of the year white sharks. So young of the year means that they're less than a year old. And that's really what got uh, the SOFO shark research program started was trying to uh, catch and tag these young of the year white sharks. So there, there are not nearly as many of these baby white sharks as there, as there are the other species. So, so those are the primary species that we run into. There, in the last two years, we've seen um, uh, a, an increase in the number of spinner sharks. Um, so there's about six or seven different species that we target and consistently see. Um, I was fortunate enough this just a few days ago to catch and tag uh, a, a young tiger shark. That's only the second tiger shark that I've ever caught um, since I've been doing this for, for the time I've been doing it. So I would not add tiger sharks yeah. to our list that we typically see, uh, although it's not uncommon for tiger sharks to be in our waters this time of the year. Why do you think you've seen just very recently a tiger shark in the waters? Uh, lucky. <laughs> I was just <laughs> lucky. Um, you know, tiger sharks uh, historically have always been caught in Long Island waters. Right. It's just that there's not a lot of them uh, compared to the number of other, say, for example, dusky sharks. Um, you know, there we, we see a tremendous number of, of small juvenile dusky sharks. Um, they were literally swarming us today. We had three and four of them around the boat um, at any given time. So, you know, dusky sharks is a much more common species that we see. Um, you know, like I said, tiger sharks are not, un, you know, they're not, it's not an anomaly that they were here this year. There's just, they're not here in the numbers that we do see of the other species. So, Brian, let me bring you into the conversation as the person. You have a lot of responsibilities, but one of them is you're also out on the water and, and you've got other other members of your team out on the water. Uh, what are you looking for when you're out on the water on a daily basis? Basically, we're looking for um, schools of bunker fish also. Um, typically, you can you can see where they are. The, you know, you'll, you'll see the fish jumping out of the water, birds diving down to to get them. And we'll concentrate our efforts in looking over there to see if we see any fins, you know, any sharks jumping to get the fish or, you know, of, of that nature. I mentioned in the introduction that there seems to be a, a perception of, of more sharks out there recently. Uh, are you, and, and Brian, I'll ask you this question also, you, when I, my, by you, I mean you and your team, are you in fact 
seeing, having more sightings, that's probably a better way to, to, to phrase it. Have there been more sightings of sharks than we have seen in the past? Well, I think there have been more sightings, um, more so through the use of drones. Um, we are also, um, our lifeguards and operations staff, um, they use drones to look for the sharks and they're able to go out more often. And, you know, it's easier for them to see from a higher distance. Right. So I think the use of that technology has allowed us to see them more um, not to say that they haven't weren't there before. Um, we're just noticing them a little bit more often now. Right. Technology a lot better than when I worked on the water, when I was on the ocean, where if there was some suspicion, a couple of us would jump in the lifeboat and you sort of row yourself out, which I, I'm thinking back on it now, maybe it was not such a great idea, um, but but what we were doing anyway. Um, yeah, I think, I think if, if I could just jump in, I think yeah. the lieutenant uh, did a great job of, of articulating that. You know, and I've, I've been asked that question a, a tremendous amount. And, and that is part of the, the issue is everybody has a cell phone. Everybody has a camera now. Everybody has a video camera and everybody has access to millions of people online. So are there more sharks in our waters physically? Yes, because of the co positive conservation efforts Frank talked about earlier. But the perception is that there's exponentially more sharks because Back in the day when you were in your lifeboat and you saw yeah. a shark, how many people would you be able to tell? Yeah. Maybe five or six. Me and the person I'm working with, and when yeah, we got back into it. the beach, we'd say, whoa, guess what yeah. we just saw? So, yeah. you know, now, now you have somebody that's on the beach, takes a picture of it, and they've just instantly told 100,000 people. There are the numbers of followers. You have drones out there looking. You have exponential number of boats and lifeguards. So everybody's looking for sharks. So of course you're going to see more sharks. These yeah. sharks have always been here. It's just that now people are noticing it and have access to sharing every shark sighting. Uh, Frank, back to you, if I can. And, and I know you, I've, I've seen you mentioning this before, and, and that is that the terminology is important. The words we use here are important. And you can say that about it in any profession, any business, but certainly here. And, and a couple of instances you talk about is the notion of using the word interactions as opposed to saying shark attacks, shark interactions. Uh, you also mentioned, for instance, that um, you prefer not to use the term uh, great white sharks but rather white sharks. Let's start with the idea, the distinction between attacks and interactions. Why do you think that's important? Well, that's important because the shark's not here to attack people. They're here to feed on the abundance of, you know, the food source that's available to them. So when you have a large population of sharks and a food source that's close to the beach, and when people are going to the beach, when sharks are feeding on that food source, there's gonna be more interactions that take place. If these were attacks, people would be bleeding to death and people would be losing limbs rather than having little bites on their ankles. What happens is when sharks are feeding and having a feeding frenzy close to the beach, they're doing whatever they can to knock away other competitors of sharks in the water. So if somebody is swimming or walking in two, three feet of water where the sharks are feeding on bait fish, the shark's only way of, you know, feeding on that food source is to interact with somebody walking in the water and a little, a little nibble will happen. And the shark's teeth are very sharp. They've evolved to, to bite on meat. So people will get lacerations, but these are not 
attacks. These are interactions to me. So, so it's more that a better way to look at it is, is basically the shark saying, hey, you're, you're in the way of my food. Let me get you out of the way rather exactly. than rather than you are now. my Exactly. Food. exactly. That's exactly what's happening. Right. You know, these sharks, you know, are really working hard to find food. It take, it, it's very hard to find food and eat food for a shark and for any animal in the marine environment. So whenever there's an, an instance where they have an opportunity to feed on a food source, they're going to do whatever it takes to, to take a bite out of any fish or anything that's in their way. And what about the notion of, of white shark as opposed to great white shark? Why do you prefer one as opposed to the other? Well, when people say great white shark, you know, it kind of alerts people that there it's that there's danger somewhere. You know, in the scientific community, the scientists call white sharks white sharks. You know, they're not great white shark. Great white sharks has been created over the years since Jaws came out in the mid 70s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, great white shark creates a stimulation and appeal to people to, you know, attract, be attracted to a, a white shark species when you, when you call it a great white shark rather than a white shark. Greg, walk me through how you actually go about tagging a shark, because I, I mean, that's most people thinking of that's, you know, that's like the, the punchline for a very bad joke. What's your job? I, I tag <laughs> sharks for a living. So uh, explain to us how physically you do that. Yeah, uh, so we we have played around with various techniques that are used in the scientific community to to catch sharks. Um, what I've found is based traditional rod and reel um, is it seems to be the most productive way of, of catching sharks. Um, so it's it would be traditional shark fishing. We put chum in the water to try to attract the sharks from the area to our boats. We have bait, primarily the Atlantic menhaden. That's what they're mm -hmm. here to eat. Um, once the shark uh, takes the bait, we uh, we reel it in, and and once it gets close to the boat, we then secure it with a, a tail rope. So we secure its head with the hook and the line, mm -hmm. and then we put a, a tail rope uh, a rope around its tail to to secure it. And once it's we keep them in the we keep the animals in the water alongside the vessel, so that way they stay uh, oxygenated, um, and then. From there, we take a whole suite of, of measurements and um, various samples. So we typically start with measurements. So we take four measurements, um, you know, basically the lengths. We take three different lengths on the shark. We take a girth, which is the fattest distance around. Um, we we determine obviously the, the species of the shark, the sex of the shark, and then depend then uh, there's a small uh, muscle biopsy that's taken. So a small incision is made at the base of their dorsal fin and we uh, take out a small piece of muscle biopsy. Uh, we take a, a small vial of blood. Um, we take a fin clip. So we take a, a pair of scissors and cut off just the very tip of one of their fins. Depending on the species and the size, then we have a variety of tags that are at our disposal to put on or in the animal. Um, those tags and these, these processes you talked about, these processes you talk about don't have such a significant impact on the, on the animal, on the shark that they're, they're now going to be handicapped in some fashion. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we get that a lot, um, because we are making incisions, we are mm. inserting things. And so, you know, we get the question, well, does that hurt the shark? Mm. And I say that based on my experience and understanding of, of sharks, what we're doing to them is minor compared to what 
their prey items may do to them. I've found sharks with giant stingray barbs stuck in their face uh, or protruding from their stomachs. Uh, mating for sharks. I, I'm sure this is a PG program, so I won't go into detail. But uh, I'll just say that the skin on female sharks is twice as thick for a lot of species than it is on males because the males have to bite the females in order to be able to uh, reproduce with them. So, um, you know, what they do to each other is minor compared to what we do them. But the reward of that, those, those, you know, minor uh, mm -hmm. injuries that we give them is tremendous, as Frank laid out. Right. Brian, as part of your work, you talked about your work with lifeguards, you work with, work with beach personnel. Um, I suspect this has happened to you already, but if it hasn't, what would you say to somebody who comes up to you and says, Lieutenant, I love swimming in the ocean and on these beaches, but I'm, I'm kind of worried about these stories that I'm hearing and worried about how I should go about my swimming. What sort of advice would you give that person? Well, I would tell them, you know, to keep swimming. Um, but, you know, if you, to avoid areas that have um, schools of bait fish in them, you know, don't swim with those because that's where the sharks would be if they're there. Um, and you can tell that by watching the fish jumping out of the water. Um, you know, stay out of the ocean between, you know, dusk and dawn and, and nighttime. Um, try to swim with other people, you know, as opposed to by yourself, you know, if you're a bigger group, um, you know, the sharks would maybe start going someplace else as opposed to trying to feed where you are. Um, and most of all, just follow the directions of the park staff and the lifeguards and any signs that they have out. If they're telling you, um, don't go in the water, then don't go in the water. Yeah. Uh, Frank, let me come back to you about something here. We've, we've seen suggestions that perhaps within an increased shark presence, might we want to do things, and I think they talk about what they do in some beaches on Australia, putting nets out there <laughs> um, that are protected. Are, are, that, are those suggestions either reasonable or would they be effective? Totally unreasonable. Okay. You know, uh, you know, to put a fence up in an area where sharks are utilizing the area to sustain their life cycle is just a it's just it's not it's not something that I would ever, ever suggest. You know, one of the things we have to think about here is that we're seeing, you know, the benefits of conservation here. And we should be really appreciating the fact that the marine ecosystem is thriving at the moment. Why would we do anything to prohibit that in the future? Just for people to get in the water and, and, and enjoy it recreationally? We have to remember that that particular habitat is not our habitat. It's the shark's habitat. And we should be really, really be appreciative of, of, of what we're seeing now in the marine environment. It's really an incredible story. And uh, I hope it continues and is sustainable for many years to come. Got a couple of minutes left just, here. Go ahead. Yeah, Greg, go ahead. Yeah, jump if I in. could just jump in a little bit there. Yep. Um, I, I Just to kind of step back and put this in perspective. Uh, generally, people probably start swimming along the south shore of Long Island, I would say end of May. And what are we at? August, first week in August. So mm -hmm. how many people have been in the water between <laughs> mid-May and today? 
And it's not just the number of individuals at the beach. One individual could go in the water and come out of the water and go back in the water multiple times during their stay at the beach. So every time one of those people have gone in the water between mid-May and today, they had an opportunity to have a, a negative interaction with a shark. Right. It's probably tens of millions of opportunities. And all of this craze this year was out of tens of millions of opportunities, six of those opportunities went bad. Now, it's very unfortunate. I wouldn't wish ill will or harm on anybody, but if you just step back and take a look at what all of this craze is about, it's six bad interactions out of millions of possible opportunities. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Let me, um, got, got about a minute and a half left here or so, a little bit more than that. So, so uh, Frank, let me come to you and ask you a similar question to the one that I asked to Brian. And that is to the, to the person who says to you, wow, I, I understand that this is what you do. You do research on, on sharks and, um, and you study them uh, and, and you project in terms of their presence and what they do in terms of the ecosystem. So if they said to you, a little bit different from the question, Brian, not just what should I do, but if they said to you, why is all of this important to me? What would your answer be? Well, as a, as a scientist, as a biologist, as a leader, uh, you know, in, a, in an organization that educates the community, it's important to me to create the awareness that our mission is supposed to fulfill. And that's to enhance stewardship on the planet, to protect it. So for me, when I have this opportunity to inform the community about what we're doing as a scientific research program and what's happening in the marine environment, it's my job as the executive director of this museum to create educational programs to make people aware and appreciate the environment, the natural environment. It's very important to me. Do and do folks have less quickly, um, it, can folks get access, get in there and learn sort of mm -hmm. a firsthand learning process for what you're teaching? Absolutely. We kind of we're, we're diversified. We we teach about every aspect of the natural world. We took over this initiative in 2018 and it's been such a success thanks to Greg and his team mm -hmm. and just the knowledge that we have in creating information about sustaining shark species. And it is very, very um, informative to right. and, and rewarding to let people know what we're doing. And behind me is our shark exhibit yeah. that we have. It's an interactive shark exhibit where children and adults can come and learn about all the stuff about sh all shark related. Well, I got to tell you, this has been a fascinating conversation, and certainly for me and I am sure for our viewers. So uh, Frank, Greg, Brian, we thank you all for spending some time and helping us to better understand all this. You're all doing wonderful work out there. Thanks so much. You all be well. Thank you very thank you. much. You too. Thank you. Thank you.